it doesn't matter who you are, how large you are. If you have a business, you have an online presence, you're a potential victim. Back by popular demand, a security superpower sponsored by Arite Incident Response. My name is Steve Ramey, and I'll be your host through this theater of cyber masterpieces. Joining me today is none other than Mr. Mark Bleicher. Mark, how are you today? Doing well, Steve. Doing well for a Sunday evening. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for uh, for coming on the show and, and talking. It's been a while. How have you been? Been busy for sure, as I'm sure you can attest to. I don't even... Uh... When was our last podcast? I feel like it was like a year ago with everything that's transpired since. Well, you know what they say about one month in cyber years. That's right. They're equivalent to 100 in real years. That's right. Speaking of years, Mark, Arate just released their 2020 review and expectations for 2021. I'm sure our listeners would really like to know if they haven't read the article yet, which is on our blog. Can you summarize the article and give the readers a taste of what Arate saw in 2020? Yeah, so this, the size of ransoms doubled, the uh, number of groups exfilling data, and the number of remote compromises, which again, really is not a big shock there with COVID and the number of organizations going to a full remote capability or virtual. So obviously that increased the attack surface across you know, the small to medium uh, enterprises that we deal with, and of course, some of the larger in the Fortune 50 and 500. Um, I would even say that we saw an uptick in those Fortune 50 to 500 companies this year, too. And again, I attribute that to uh, COVID. And I, I know that's kind of uh, you know an easy excuse, but really the, the correlation is pretty clear once you look at the data and, and you know the organizations we talk to. Um, you know, some of those initial questions are, you know, did you move your workforce to a, a virtual environment this year. That certainly makes sense from our perspective. From the, the small and medium-sized business landscape, do you think they think they're still a threat? You know, a couple of years ago, the idea was we're too small. We won't be on anybody's radar. But we still see every day 10 to 20 brand new clients that come across our doorstep that are in that small and medium business profile. So do you think that they are aware of how much of a target they actually are? You know, it, it's hard to say. It's, it's, it's like 10 years ago um, when cyber insurance was, you know, really in its infancy and there wasn't as many people that had it, uh, you know, well, they thought that, well, I don't need it. You know, we're a, we're a small media firm. Nobody's looking to go after us. So my, I guess my answer to that is if they're not thinking that they're still a target, they should be because like I tell everybody, it doesn't matter who you are, how large you are. If you have a business, you have an online presence, you're, you're a potential victim. Um, I know that sounds bleak, but really everybody's got a target on their back. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. The, these, these crooks are pretty much financially motivated. And if small, medium or large businesses are making money, regardless of profitability, they would be a target, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, you know, you have a business, you're a target. They're going to go where the money is. Follow the money. <laughs> so you mentioned something that piqued my interest. We were tracking two groups at the beginning of 2020 for data exfiltration. And at the end of the 2020, that increased, I hope my math is correct, something like 2,500% to end the year at about more than 50 groups? Yeah, around a little bit over 50. Uh, and that was actually a prediction, although we didn't you know, publish anything about that being a prediction. But what you saw happen, particularly with the ransomware as a service groups, these other 
groups, or as the um, the threat actors call them, competitors, they saw the success in the model there, the exfiltration or the double extortion. So they got on board with that. And then you saw back in April, I think it was Soda McKee VR Evil, they had opened up their platform, and I think they called it an affiliate program. And there was a few groups who did that. So again, they, they saw the opportunity that the because, I mean, look, from the client standpoint, you know this from we talk to every day. You know, the nice thing is a lot of organizations are have actually you know, have a place to restore from. But now if you, you still get hit with ransomware, you have that other big decision. Do we pay because we need to you know make sure that the, the data doesn't get posted or do we just leave it alone? And, you know, there's... Slews of articles out there. You can just go on the dark web, go on the regular web, type in um, you know, ransomware leak victims, and you'll see how many organizations' data has been posted. So again, I think they saw the success of that early on, and that's the you know accounts with a huge uptick. To me, that's absolutely scary to know that the uh, the success of Follow the Leader has taken off. Would you think that's something we'll continue to see throughout this year in 2021? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't see any reason for it to decline again until, you know, these these organizations are taken down or, you know, law enforcement is able to step in. And I, yeah, it's going to be a problem. I think there's going to be an increase. And not only that, I think it's going to get worse. So you're going to start to see other forms of extortion. Um, You know, maybe it's not going to be leaking the data, but threatening to DDoS the organization or threatening to do... Yes, you know, God forbid something that leads to physical harm. Yeah, I mean, all of that is a real threat to any of us, though, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said before, you know, everybody's a target, not just an organization, but individuals. You know, what's scary to think about is, you know, these these groups, they know the players in this space. They know who's helping their victims to a large extent. I mean, they take the time and do the research on the victims before they hit them. So at this point, how long we've we been in the game, it's... I think it would be ignorant to think that, you know, they don't have dossiers of every company that uh, is in this industry. So, you know, maybe what if that's the next step? Not saying it is, but really sky's the limit. If they can monetize it, then they're going to monetize it and go after it and exploit it. I mean, that really kind of scares me personally. You know, this podcast itself could be on somebody's radar out there listening to us talk about our findings, what we've seen, how we react. And our picture is up on their wall trying to map out who's who in our world. Is that what you're saying? That is what I'm thinking about. But again, it's just maybe my my paranoia, not to say there's any been anything out there we haven't encountered in a situation where that's been the case. But, um, you know, put yourself in their shoes, the mind of a criminal. I, I don't think anything's out of the realm of possibility. My concern is, though, is that, you know, if they do go after, you know, individuals, particularly, you know, what if they went after Steve or Mark? I'm just worried about, I can't even get on my MySpace page. So, you know, what if that's what they target? I don't even know what's on there from 18 years ago. <laughs> funny, funny you mentioned that. I, I actually logged into my MySpace. I was going through uh, one of those nostalgic moments, you know, a trip down memory lane. <laughs> what I expected to see is not what I found. None of my information from 2006 was on MySpace. It's not even MySpace anymore from what we remember. Probably won't even find much unless they exfiltrated data from way back <laughs> when and, and they stored it for 20 years later. <laughs> They're just going to see a lot of uh, posts from me about Nickelback and Tina Turner. So, I mean, 
there. It's out in the open now, so maybe I'm not a victim. <laughs> Aren't we all? But uh, hey, anyways, <laughs> I got one more question for you. I did read in the report that last year there was a lot of observations for pressuring victims through harassment. Um, not the typical encrypting files and stealing data, but these individuals would call and email the organization. Is this something like that still consistent with their tactics, or do you think they're moving on from from that, or was there success with it? Yeah, I definitely think there was some success behind it. You know, we first saw it again. This is a, another example of uh, you know follow the leader. I, I think the first instance was with Conti, um, if I remember, and. Now, our evils doing that, they're also harassing clients. So as far as moving uh, forward, I think there's actually Recorded Futures just put out a great interview with um, somebody from the Our Evil Group, or at least purporting to be. And not only was that interview scary, but one of the things that they predicted, which, uh, you know, I was just talking about this before it even came out, is the fact that they could go at their individual executives. And, you know, they mentioned uh, in this article, and we can, we'll post a, a reference to it or something at the end so people can read it, um, that CEOs, for example, if they don't get a response after that first set of harassments, they're going to start just leaking data um, about the executive to the CEO. But again, remember last year um, that they uh, there was also threats of, um, you know, contacting the SEC for publicly traded companies and sharing all the leaked data. I know that some of that did happen, but that was uh, at the time when that was first, um, you know, announced, it was, uh, it was like, oh, gosh, well, you know, is, is that going to put the pressure? But who's to say? I, I think it's, you know, definitely um, in the realm of possibility. And I, I would not be shocked if we started to see that soon. Just um, they basically start doxing, doxing these negatives. Yeah, you know, we, we do live by the phrase, it's just business, it's not personal. But these groups are really trying to make it personal so the business aspect can shine through. 100%. It's, uh, I mean, you know, appeal to the human emotion. And, um, you know, there's no better way to do that than to make it personal. Unfortunately, there really isn't. So uh, so now that we're three months into the year, has your perspective on the 2021 outlook changed at all, knowing that towards the end of last year and, and beginning of this year, two major ransomware groups were taken down and Emotet was significantly disrupted? Yeah, you know, if you had asked me or before March, I get to say the last week of February, I would have said no, my perspective hadn't changed. And of course, what happened the first week of uh, March was the Microsoft zero day drop. And that seems like it changed everything. Um, you know, first it was zero day and then there's multiple different groups now exploiting that. And now we're seeing ransomware trickling in because of the zero day. You know, my perspective now is, you know, what if we just start to see this the cyber Armageddon that we were all, you know, thought that would never come just slowly start to unfold. And it's, you know, a zero day attack after zero day attack. Um, one of the other things that I, I think may happen this year is we, we deal with victims who, you know, they may not pay, may not need to pay. And 
to get a decryption key. And this, the concern is there that their data is still going to get leaked. Or even when they do pay, uh, I guess that's the, the bigger thing, is even when they do pay, how do they know? What's the assurance that their data really isn't going to be leaked? Uh, you know, to date, you know, we haven't found that to be the case, but um, I really start to think that maybe we're going to start to see kind of the the fallout from the last, you know, 18 months of data and compromised credentials and that leading to additional additional victims in some way. I'll tell you this, Mark, you know, this is going to be in my next blog post in my Dear Ramey column. You mentioned what guarantees do you have that the threat actors will delete stolen data. And quite frankly, I 100% agree with you that we have no guarantees, right? You know, they provide us a file listing. They tell us they delete data. Some instances, they provide a video um, back to us, right-clicking with shift delete on that data. But we don't know if they have a second copy somewhere. We do know through those conversations with the groups that they're intimately familiar that they understand the data, the social security numbers and credit card information, and the off chance that cyber policy is located, you know, they throw that back at us. Um, so who's to say they aren't actually mining that information somewhere else, Bingo. even though they represented, they deleted it. Or, you know, even take it a step further, uh, you know, you have your, your RAS group, so, you know, you may not be part of that single core entity like you have with groups like Ryuk and... The, the RAS groups, you know, the, the, done any research into this, you know, that they're not only are they run like professional organizations, but their staff are treated like that. So the their quote unquote intellectual property, so their, their malware and everything, that's they, the people that work for them. So the, the people that we deal with on a daily basis, these criminals, they have access to that stolen information. Who's not to say that one of those employees goes rogue? Um, you know, and they leave and go to a different group who may not share the same philosophy as the the previous criminal organization they came from. So hey, that's something else to consider. So no matter what business you're in, whether it's legal or not legal, insider threat is still an issue. Yeah, I guess that yeah, that's exactly right. Isn't that funny and ironic at the same time? Would you call that an insider threat or an insider threat actor? Oh, mind blown. <laughs> I want to go back to something you just mentioned, um, zero days. You know, we're, we're seeing a trend here. At the end of last year, SolarWinds was announced, uh, detected by FireEye, and, and that launched a huge, huge uptick in the cybersecurity community and prompted the U.S. government to hold hearings inviting the executives from the major companies involved with that event. Um, recently, you mentioned we have the Microsoft Exchange Zero Day, where the Hafnium Group was targeting vulnerable exchange servers. You know, these are two major products in use by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of companies worldwide. Where does it, where does it end? Where does it start? Where does it end? How, how do we protect ourselves from something unknown? If I had the answer to that question, uh, I probably would not be sitting here right now. Um, and a lot of us probably wouldn't have jobs either in cybersecurity. So... I guess the, the serious answer is it, it doesn't end. I guess it goes back to what I originally said. You know, everybody's a victim. Nothing is really off the table. I guess the one saving grace is the fact that big portion of these groups do run their organization like professional legitimate businesses that, you know, they have to draw the line somewhere. Um, but again, I'll go back to that recorded future interview um, with Art Evil. 
they will monetize what they can. And they said they'll, you know, continue to innovate. And what does innovate mean in the mind of a criminal? So I'll leave with that. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, you talk about mad scientists. That's all I can picture. You know, somebody sitting in a lab somewhere cooking up a Frankenstein that can make more Frankensteins when they come online. It's a, it's really a, a scary thought. It is, and you know, back to you know, you mentioned Solar Winds again and, and Microsoft. And then, as far as has my perspective changed, you know, we also don't quite know the fallout yet from Solar Winds. So, as you know, you've seen from ransomware that these groups, once they gain entry into the environment, they stay quiet. You know days, weeks, sometimes months before they'll deploy the ransomware. So who's not to say that from the, the solar winds mini cyber Armageddon that we saw that there isn't a bunch of small companies, large companies just sitting there not knowing, unassuming, and then you, they get hit with Microsoft Zero Day. So well, I guess what I'm trying to say is you know multiply those times too. It may be a really, really busy next 24 months. That's scary in itself. Just from uh, from the human factor of cybersecurity, you know, there's uh, been, a, been a bunch of reports that burnout is real. And much like our crisis management first responders, police force, medical staff, firefighters, we too in the cybersecurity world are first responders, but just for cyber events, you know, not so much putting our lives in harm's way. But the, the lifestyle itself, you know, the, the lifestyles are very similar. You know, we're getting phone calls on Saturdays and Sundays and all hours through the night uh, to help these companies through these events. You know, just last week, since the Microsoft Zero Day announcement, business has 200%, 300% increased from, from last year. You know, the community is, is already short on staff, short on automated intelligence to help us. You know, how would... Mark, how would one position themselves inside the space to, one, recruit, and two, maintain a career and not burn out? Yeah. So I guess the first thing, you know, I've got asked this question recently. We're working with a company that's um, trying to develop a, a program specifically to address, you know, what you just said, the the need for more cybersecurity professionals. And, you know, the question I I answered their question with another question is you really really have to ask people who want to get into this, you know, what they want to specialize in. Digital forensics and incident response traditionally isn't something that, you know, you just jump into as a starter career, although there are junior roles and entry-level roles, but you were starting to see more of it, but traditionally it's not been the case. And the question I ask is, you know, first, what do they want to do? Because the way I look at what we do is probably the most extreme of cybersecurity incident response. I don't think anyone would argue with that who actually works in IR, particularly within the uh, cyber um, industry space. So, you know, make sure that, you know, they understand that this is what they really want to get into and don't go into it because it seems, you know, glamorous and don't let the stuff you've seen on TV fool you into thinking that is anything like reality, I would say go into it because you really believe in the mission and want to help actually make an impact in this industry, but also know that once you get into it, this is, it's a lifestyle. It really is. It's uh same thing that, you know, they tell people go into um, 
the trauma surgery or they, they want to go into careers that can be really emotionally and physically draining. Like, you know, is this something you really want to do? So start there, make sure they understand what they're getting into. That, that uh, does signal something to me. It, it sounds like there's some avenues for us as a community to come together and to increase our presence um, doing more with less, essentially, you know, that, uh, that old Cherry McGuire phrase, um, I guess then we would focus, would we then focus more on an automated gathering and sharing of intelligence? Do you think cybersecurity companies could even get together and provide that information so we could respond faster? No, absolutely. I think one thing that could and should be done too is, you know, major vendors like Microsoft or SolarWinds or, you know, any of the number of the hardware manufacturers, really any large technology company that is uh, just everywhere, it's it's embedded within every organization. I think, you know, almost like an ISAC sort of scenario or, or sort of arrangement working with the private industry, um, you know, those both within the, uh, you know, proactive side, executives from the insurance industry and then of course from the forensic vendors and response firms um that that'd be one way to be proactive and then obviously everything all those different groups have to bring to the table that's you know your the pool if you will to be to dip from to to get try to get ahead of this stuff but you know and at a minimum at least inform policy or you know transform the way companies look at risk which is also our uh the vision of our company so yeah 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 to uh to transform the way organizations prepare for and respond to cyber attacks you know that's that's really the model um, it's no longer just respond it's it's really what can we do now to prepare ourselves for that first detection that first anomaly that's detected and it raises our eyebrow to respond then Instead of, oh, I heard someone clicked a link in a phishing email, I changed their password and wiped my hands of it, only to find out two weeks later their data is actually encrypted. Yeah, Mark, can you, uh, can you talk a little bit about the relationship we have with uh, Marsh McLennan, the, uh, the cyber insurance brokers? We have an agreement with them for uh, to, you know, their, their prospective clients to use Sentinel-1 for a 60-day period. So... Proactive measures. Actually, what I was going to say before, kind of as a question about how can companies position themselves for recruiting or what can we do as an industry to come together? I think what you're going to start to see is we're going to morph from incident responders, so on the reactive side, to being part of the entire like ecosystem. So what I mean by that is really taking what we know, our knowledge and experience from the day-to-day fight and trying to leverage that on the preventative side, you know, working with, uh, you know, insurance carriers on the underwriting side to really assess the risk of, um, you know, those applying for insurance. So Steve, you've asked all the questions so far tonight. I want to ask you, so based on everything we talked about, you know, we painted a, Hopefully, not bleak picture of the, uh, the the cyber future, if you will. So, if there's one thing that you would tell an organization, small, medium, large, 
It doesn't matter what vertical they're in. There's one thing that you would tell them or two, you maybe you can pick three what they could do now. So we don't hopefully have to meet them in the future. Well, I was going to say make Eritre your best friend, but that would defeat the not meeting us in the future part. It certainly added a wrinkle to my answer. Uh, it, it is a great question, Mark. You know, I, I would start with this, you know, no program is immune to a cyber attack. Uh, it doesn't matter the maturity of the, that program. It doesn't matter the type of data your business may or may not collect or even how profitable your business is. Uh, just as you said earlier, Mark, being on the internet, being connected and generating revenue, your organization will be a target. Outside of not meeting us, actually come meet us. You know, we can help you prepare for a cyber attack because the preparation aspect is the most critical. You know, the whole idea with the season's episodes is to talk through the incident response at each major milestone of the investigation and how we layer in our services. And the, the twist of this is that we approach incident response from the attacker's perspective. You know, our trends are all from the attacker's perspective. Cyber insurance, it can benefit our listeners. Uh, the threat intelligence and threat active communications are all focused on talking about and responding from the attacker's perspective. Um, this is a huge twist compared to what the security community usually talks about. And back to your point earlier, going back to the recorded future interview, it's kind of the same way. We always speculate what these threat actors are doing, why they're doing it, you know, speculating what they're thinking. We know they're financially motivated because they literally tell us they want money in exchange for freeing your files. But to see that interview with the bad guys and what they're actually thinking and how they're going to apply it and really hear that they're they're financially motivated, it's 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 eye-opening for everyone because now it's a touch of life. And the idea for this season is to bring it to life. You know, this is our day-to-day and how we think and how we translate all of these kind of cyber bad guy actions into normal societal speak and deliver it to our clients. And we provide our incident response consulting from the angle of the attacker's perspective. Well, Mark, I think that about sums up the episode on how Arite is transforming the way companies prepare for and respond to cyber events. Uh, as we can see from what we saw last year to what we expect to see this year, uh, there will be a change in tactics, especially after that recorded future article was published about the mindset of the, the threat actor. Approach we take uh, as incident responders and security consultants how we look at it from the mind of the attacker. Um, that really comes into play when securing the perimeter and helping these organizations prepare for the looming attack. Remember, it's not if, but when, and that when is fast approaching. Join us next time where we meet with Marsh McLennan's co-chair of their Cyber Center of Excellence, Mark Shine. We'll discuss the importance of cybersecurity insurance, uh, talk through the ins and outs, and learn a lot about Mark. Thank you for joining everyone. My name is Steve Ramey, and until next time, stay safe out there.